On this morning, when on our calendars we mark the beginning of a new year, we ask that uh, for you, really there is no time, so there's no new year or old year, there just is, but we ask that on this morning, as some of us look forward to the new year with hope and others with dread that, oh, good God, is it going to go on like it has been? In the midst of this all, you would infuse us with the possibility that we could help create this new year with you into something that is good. That with your guidance and with your energy and with your wisdom, that we might help fashion a better year for a lot of folks. We ask that you would bless us in these moments as we reflect on your written word and that you would give life to something new in each of us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this text that Connie read from the Gospel of St. Matthew is a well-known and probably familiar text for many of us. In fact, I saw Carl Vischer earlier this week as he was repairing some sofas downstairs. Make sure you thank him because he did a wonderful job. But he was saying, oh boy, last judgment stuff this week, huh, Fred? (laughs) You finally going to talk about sin? and evil, and all that stuff, and no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but, that's not to say that those things don't exist. I just don't necessarily think that's primarily what was on Jesus' mind, or in God's heart. I think God hopes more for us than sin and evil. And So I uh, am prone to see grace everywhere, even where others may not. And this particular text, as I say, one of the, where there's several things uh, that I find remarkable in it, and one I want to say, as a word of caution to us that are more of a progressive bent, or more into what is classically been called the social gospel, where we're the ones out there on the front lines really doing their everything to make sure the homeless have homes and the prisoners are visited and the sick. We're the real Christians. And all those folks in the other buildings that just spend hours singing worship songs and having to believe the right way, they're not the real Christians. We are. And so I would caution us not to use this text as a hammer to beat our sisters and brothers over the heads with. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said these things. In fact, the truth is, the people that were really doing what he said to do were unaware they were doing it. They were naive to the fact that they were doing it unto Jesus. And so I think it would be mindful of us as we do the things he's commanded us to do, that we do it with a naivete, that we're not better than anybody else. We're just doing what we're doing, and we'll let the judge at the end of all time determine whether it was beneficial or not. 
and we won't beat others up that maybe see things differently than we do. We'll just go about doing what we think we should do in a heart of compassion. That would be my suggestion. But part of this, too, with these texts is I fear that over the centuries, many of us, not that we were alive for centuries, but that many of our forebears, and even we ourselves in this day and age, try to tend to make messiahs and saints out of people that do these things. And, and that's a, a subtle way for us to wiggle out of having to do them ourselves. We can say, well, Mother Teresa, she was a saint. Yeah, you, you know, we couldn't take care of people in Calcutta the way she, she's a saint. And Martin Luther King Jr., well, he preached nonviolence and lived nonviolence, but you and I can't do that. We're not Martin Luther King Jr., we're just us. And so we wiggle out of doing what these wise teachers have given to us, or we, we make messiahs out of them, Jesus. Well, we can't do what Jesus did. Jesus was divine for crying out loud. We can't behave that way. We're just us. And so it's a way to wiggle out of actually having to do what they told us to do. And that's not good. These wise people, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., were given to us, to te wise teachers to say, do this. This is good. And we shouldn't so beatify them to make what they did impossible for us. It is very possible, and I would say by Jesus' teaching in the gospel text this morning, expected that we behave in caring for prisoners and the sick and the homeless and the poor and the oppressed. That it's expected that we lovingly and with compassion reach out to them without, as I say, beating our sisters and brothers that have a different viewpoint over the head with how good we are. That's not helpful. And I, I think, you know, really what this hearkens to is, is the question, what actually makes a Christian Christian? You know, we have folks in the, in the Christian world who would say, well, you have to believe correctly. If you don't have an orthodox theology, you're not a real Christian. It's belief. It's, it's faith. Not by works. It's faith that saves us and makes us right with God. And then there's others of our ilk, more of the progressive brand. No, 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 no. If you're not doing anything, your faith is dead and worthless. And that's what James had to say in the New Testament we got to be out there on the front lines doing it. If we're not walking our talk, we're not. And, and I would say that it's a, a straw man is the philosopher. That's a philosopher term, a straw man argument, where you just sort of paint the other one as so silly that it makes no sense. And I think both are needed. I think a good belief and a good doing of stuff combined because they fuel each other. Because I believe Jesus was a wise teacher and a good man and, and had the word of God, I try to do what he said to do. And it's in the doing that I really show that I believe what he said to do and that he had authority to say what he had to say. 
And so belief and action go together, and we shouldn't pit uh, one against the other, but try to just do the best we can, realizing, and, and I love that the people doing the good things didn't even realize they were. They were just being motivated by the grace that had been shed upon their hearts to be compassionate and kind. They weren't doing it for a reward. They weren't doing it for gold stars at the end of the day. They just didn't know how else to be because they had been so touched and moved by the grace and the love of God. Well, we just have to do this. It wasn't to earn anything. It was out of gratitude that they took care of the homeless and the prisoner and the sick and the poor. And I suggest that should be our attitude, just out of gratitude. Thank you. As opposed to prove that we're better than somebody else. I think you get what I'm getting to. And then the other text that Connie read to us is another famous text made famous by the birds in the 1960s. For everything there is a season under heaven. Turn, turn, turn. If you remember that. If you can remember that. And this comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite book in the Old Testament. I, I love Ecclesiastes. I've shared on numerous occasions, I come from an existentialist point of view. I love existential philosophy. And I think the book of Ecclesiastes is the oldest existentialist text in the written word of humanity. It just predates all that. And the author of Ecclesiastes is supposedly someone named Kohelet, which is just a Hebrew word for the preacher. So the preacher says to us, for everything there is a moment, a season, under heaven. I want to say it right. A time, a time to be born, a time to die, a, a time to mend, and a time to tear apart. There's a time for everything. And so I would suggest as we begin a new year, 2023. I have no idea what 2023 holds ahead for all of us. I remember last year when everybody was so sick and tired of COVID. We thought, well, it can't get worse. Well, there were moments in 2022 that <laughs> it felt worse than 2021. So, but there were moments that it was a lot better too. So I have no idea what moments lie ahead for us in this coming year. But I imagine all this stuff will be coming because these are the moments of life. It just happens. There's a time to sow and a time to reap and a moment to mend and a moment to tear apart, a moment to live and a moment to die, a moment to love and a moment to hate. All these moments, it's just life. And it will come at us full force in 2023. And so my suggestion is when the moments come to embrace them as the gifts that they are and to not allow our past as painful or as hurtful as it may have been to so blind us that we miss the moment that is right in front of us or to not allow the fear of not having enough in the future or the stock market may crash or Sherry may not find a good boiler in time to heat the building, to not allow the fear of what could happen 
to so cause us to miss the moment and opportunity that is presented right in our midst. That God would give us the grace in this year to embrace all these moments that will come our way. And that we could respond as Jesus would have us respond in each of these moments. That we would do so with kindness and with compassion and not based out of fear. And one of the things I love in reading this text and preparing this text is I looked at the brilliant Rami Shapiro, who's a Jewish rabbi, and he wrote a book called The Way of Solomon, which is an exegesis of the book of Ecclesiastes, or it's his interpretation, I would say, of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says the beauty of these moments is that each moment is pregnant with an opportunity to become new. That each moment is an opportunity to not be bound by our past or not be held prisoner by fear of the future. But each moment that we're given is new and is pregnant with the opportunity to become new so that I don't have to behave in the same old way that I always did before. It's a chance. It's a do-over. Every moment's a do-over. And that's great. And, and, and I heard a guy say once, I really love this too, that these moments are like an open book test. Because if you don't know what to do in the moment, you can open the Bible and look up the answer. It's open book. And in fact, if you don't even have a Bible around, you can ask the teacher, what should I do in this moment? Because the gift of the moment is only to do well in the moment. And so it's an opportunity. Now, how do we do that? How do we live and embrace each moment as it comes? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it so happens I'm married to a very wise Buddhist lay minister who tells me wise Buddhist stories that I love. And there's a Zen story that is just fabulous. So there's this particular Zen story. There was a master who was very, very famous for his equanimity, which means a peaceful countenance. And he never got flustered. And he took everything in stride. And he was able to live a beautiful life, being gracious in every moment. So he was famous for this. And many students came to sit at his feet and learn at the monastery where he lived. Now this particular master had a routine that he followed every day. He would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, trundle back off to the kitchen, boil some water for his tea, make his tea, and then very carefully walk back to his little cell, his room, where he would have his tea and sit and meditate. Every morning he would do this. So one morning, his students wanted to find out how deep does this equanimity stuff go? How good is this guy really at this stuff? So they got up at 4.30 in the morning and went and hid in the dark hallway. And after their master went to the kitchen and got his tea, and he's very carefully heading back to his room, 
the students jumped out of a dark alcove in the hallway and screamed, Boo! And the master just continued to trundle into his room, set his cup very gently down, turned around, went back out into the hallway, looked at the students and went, (gasps) (laughs) And what he was teaching them was that between the stimulus and the response, there's a gap. And what we do with that gap says everything about us. Someone cuts me off in traffic. Now, before I give them sign language, (laughs) or hit my horn, or look at them glaringly, there's a gap. And what I do with that gap is everything. And I think this is where it connects with what Jesus was saying in Matthew's Gospel. When we see someone in need. That's a stimulus. And before I either respond or walk away or turn away or say, you know, somebody, TG, you go deal with this or something. That there is a gap. And how I respond in that gap, I can either be a sheep or a goat. I can and, and, and some of this is boundaries because I can't take care of all the needs in the world, but I want to be sensitive between the stimulus and the response. What is the divine other we say is God communicating to me how I should respond in this moment because this moment is new and this moment is the only moment. And how can I behave in this moment? Because it's a gift. And so as we trundle off into 2023 with the moments that await all of us, the good and the bad and the ugly, I want to remind you that there's a a gap between the stimulus and the response and how we live in that gap is really, really important. Now to help bring this home, I want to give the final thoughts to the wonderful Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Howard Thurman was a friend of Martin King's dad and helped teach Martin Luther King Jr. And Howard Thurman wrote a beautiful little poem called The Work of Christmas. And it goes like this. When the song of the angels is stilled and when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home and when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. And I'm so grateful that Howard Thurman added that last line, to make music in the heart, to dance. Because as we do these important things that Jesus commands us to do, my suggestion, my sisters, my brothers, my siblings, is that we do it joyfully, with fun. That it's not an onerous task. That we don't have to look like parsimons 
as we're out, but that we do it joyfully. I had, I had the privilege to know a man who worked with Mother Teresa for a while in Calcutta, and she was adamant about that. She would tell the sisters, if we can't take care of these poor in Calcutta with joy, leave, go somewhere else, go do something else. Because it's with joy that we should be doing these things. Because we've been given so much. So as we enter 2023, my prayer for all of us is that we will do what Jesus said to do. And that we will do it with music in our heart, with a smile on our face, and with a little caper of a dance. May we do it together. Amen.